power on. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. Those are some immortal words, baby, coming from, uh, well, an actor that unfortunately was not immortal, even though he did play one in theaters. We are, of course, talking about none other than Sean Connery. Um, what you have here is, well, if you have an extended weekend coming up uh, for Thanksgiving, uh, maybe you want to get in a few good flicks. Well, I have the Sovereign Top 8 that I had promised. Uh, on Sovereign Tech recently that is really all about the films uh, and much about the career of Sean Connery. Now, it goes without saying that Sean Connery has been a central figure in some of my favorite films of all time, including films that really would it would that they easily sit in Actually, a lot of them would sit in my top 100, but even in my top 10, uh, they, they could sit there pretty firmly. Uh, a couple of these anyway would. Uh, he is an actor that, <laughs> well, not everybody gets this award. Um, I want to say it was somewhere in the 80s. I remember him being in People magazine and he got uh, the Sexiest Man Alive Award, which was pretty amazing considering that. Well, understand he was born in 1930. And so to even be getting that award in the 1980s, you know, he would have been pushing 60, if not already well into, uh, you know, if not already into his sixties, uh, pretty damn good to be getting that award then. Uh, and, but I do remember quite vividly when he was given sexiest man of the century in 1999. Uh, and you know, I got to tell you, as far as his, um, you know, screen appearances, as far as his performances, I might not argue that one too much. <laughs> you know? And certainly, uh, you know, I might've given that to Patrick Stewart, uh, previously for the 20th century, but he's kind of fucked it all up in the 21st. So I, I can't really give it to him now. Thanks CBS. But I would be remiss if, uh, well, Sean Connery was a very controversial very controversial figure. Uh, again, born in, in Scotland, uh, in August of 1930. And he recently, and we still don't know the reason why, but he died on October 31st, 2020. Just another one of the lives that 2020 has taken away. Basically all we do know is that for many years, according to his own son, uh, that he has not been well. Um, and I believe that, uh, there have been claims that he suffered from dementia in his uh, final years, uh, of course, he retired from acting. I believe it was in 2006 or 2007. He had received, was it the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award? And he announced then that he was basically done. And I mean, on this end, I'll agree with him. He said he was tired of the, you know, the, the stupid films that the idiots in Hollywood were making. Uh, you know, around, not he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, Hollywood did start making some pretty stupid films, whether or not he was referencing, you know, some of his, uh, his last, his later works, uh, some of which did not do very well. Um, 
we don't know, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with him that, you know, Hollywood, especially around that time really started making, uh, a large part for a large part you know, really started making a lot of stupid films as to where at least it used to be maybe 50, 50 or 60, 40, as far as bad films compared to good. Um, now it's just, I mean, I, I can, I can barely sit down and watch a new movie. So, well, anyway, um, I'll certainly, I have rewatched Sean Connery films many, many times. Something I want to be clear on here. And this is a point I was trying to get to is that, uh, like I said, he's a controversial figure in real life. Um, and I'm not going to defend Sean Connery, the person. Okay. Uh, by, by no stretch. Uh, I do appreciate a lot of people don't know this about him. He was actually very active, uh, and very vocal about, um, base about Scottish independence. Like he wanted Scotland and he was personally funding a political party or a particular political party anyway, uh, in Scotland that was pushing for breaking away from Britain. Uh, and Hey, you know, I mean, independence movements, I can, uh, I can appreciate those for what they are. Uh, but regardless of that, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to defend him as a person. Uh, I mean, but as an actor, definitely, uh, as many of his co-stars had said upon his passing, uh, definitely a legend. One of the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Uh, the guy could, I mean, he was the rare actor, I think. And, and it is kind of a rare actor. He is the rare actor that, I mean, he is the fine wine. He absolutely got better with time. Um, and that's saying something when you are such a, a, a cultural icon, you know, for, for playing James Bond, right? Uh, but I think his best films, as much as I appreciate James Bond movies, I think his best films uh, came much, much later. Uh, and I got to give him credit. I mean, granted, his career kind of, you know, did a little bit of a roller coaster there uh, a couple times, I guess. Uh, I got to give him credit for taking on some very weird roles. Um, and then there was, you know, unfortunately, there was a time where he refused what he probably saw as very weird roles. Uh, but I got to give him credit for taking some of those weird roles and I am just in awe. You know, it's hard to imagine like the young Sean Connery, right? I mean, he was, you know, he was the, the stuff with, with James Bond when he was in that tenure. Uh, but I, you know, I think like most people certainly around my age and I'm 39, I mean, most of us think of him, you know, as the gray haired, uh, you know, but still very sexy. Uh, you know, older actor guy pushing his sixties or in his sixties and, and delivering the goods point being is that not many actors get to have a second or even third act that is just as dominant, culturally dominant, uh, as you know, as your first act, which him running as James Bond certainly was, uh, a separate conversation could be had over like best Sean Connery, you know, James Bond films. Um, I'm not going to get into that here, nor will any James Bond films be on this list. Uh, as I have said many times over the years on Sovereign Tech, anytime that, uh, that James Bond comes up, I, Sean Connery is not my favorite Bond. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, not even close. I, I mean, one of my favorite actors, and again, has played a part in movies that are a central role in movies that are absolutely in my top 10. 
Um, I, I'd almost say it's basically, ironically, between him and Harrison Ford, as far as people that I have, or like singular actors, where I have, not to say that it's all my favorite films, but that I have watched their films the most, like over time, like over and over and over, like rewatched over and over and over again. I have rewatched many of the films on this list over and over and over again. Um, That's not to say as great an actor as Sean Connery was. And when he, you know, he was on the screen, I mean, he just owned it and it didn't matter who was playing next to him, you know, whether it was Richard Gere, Nicolas Cage, Lawrence Fishburne, um, Ed Harris, you know, or Alec Baldwin or whoever, you know, whoever was playing or, you know, of course, Christopher Lambert talk about a presence, whoever was playing opposite him. I mean, he just, he just took over. You know, and it's amazing to, I'm kind of in awe at how many actors actually agreed to play opposite him because again, he just, he just took it over, uh, when he was on the screen. And frankly, for Sean Connery, this is an actor who I think there were a lot of missed opportunities. Now, Part of these missed opportunities apparently were by Sean Connery's call, not by, I mean, anybody, especially in the nineties, in the nineties, I mean, Sean Connery, again, this was his, you know, I guess this would technically be his third act. Um, you know, he was one of the biggest deals on screen in the nineties and he turned down. Uh, you know, so I, my point in saying that is that nobody was going to say no to having Sean Connery in their film, but Sean Connery apparently said no to a lot of films. Um, he said no to a role in uh, star Trek five, the final frontier. Uh, and before anybody says, wow, he dodged a bullet on that one. Well, guess what? Around that same time he made Highlander too. So I don't know what bullet you think he dodged. I think he would have been remembered much better (laughs) if he was, We'll talk about Highlander two in a little bit. He would have been much better off being in Star Trek five than that, but okay. Uh, in fact, in Star Trek five, the, the, the name of the Vulcan, uh, heaven or Eden is, uh, is Shakari and that's named after Sean Connery. Right. So, <laughs> because, you know, kind of in honor of his, uh, uh, what could have been his potential role. He would have played Cybok, uh, in that he would have played Spock's brother and, Admittedly, I mean, I think that that would have been dynamite. I mean, that just, that would have been amazing because Spock is Star Trek. Leonard Nimoy, you know, is Star Trek. And he is, you know, it's, it's the old saying, right? Who's better Kirk or Picard? Both wrong. Spock. And, and, and he's better than every character in Star Trek. Uh, and who could you get to play against the presence of Leonard Nimoy? Sean Connery is one of the few names I think that could actually pull it off. So that's a missed opportunity. In my opinion, would have been amazing uh, to have him as a Vulcan. I mean, just what a coup for star Trek really, and probably could have made that film, even though I, I really like star Trek five, uh, probably could have put it a little more over with audiences. I think uh, where they would have bought it more, you know? So, and boy, just (laughs) imagine the stories there would have been on set with William Shatner directing Sean Connery. I mean, just because everybody talks about how William Shatner on set was always telling people what to do. 
I love Shatner, but man, <laughs> Shatner's not going to tell Sean Connery to do anything, you know? <laughs> so, uh, in fact, a part of me kind of wonders if, if, if that's why he, you know, Sean Connery turned that down. Um, there's other roles where we kind of have more of an idea why he turned them down. For example, uh, he was going to be, if I'm not mistaken, he was going to be Morpheus originally, uh, in the matrix, which granted went to Lawrence Fishburne, of course, uh, Sean Connery and Lawrence Fishburne would, would kind of, you know, act, uh, I don't want to say against each other, but in, you know, in, in a, well, an interesting crime film anyway. Um, so that said, uh, <laughs> oh, what else? Oh yeah. It was, I think he was going to, he was going to be in Lord of the Rings, but cause he famously said that when he was asked about, I remember this, when he was asked about league of extraordinary gentlemen, why was he willing to do this? He basically said, and this adds into a certain reputation that it seems like Sean Connery built. And we don't know exactly why. Um, or at least I don't know why, but when asked why he was going to be in leave extraordinary gentlemen, he said, well, I was asked to be in Lord of the Rings. I didn't understand it. I was asked to be in the matrix. I didn't understand it. Meaning he didn't understand the script and what the story was all about and everything. But both of those went to be huge. Right. And so when 2003 rolls around and he gets asked to be in league of extraordinary gentlemen, and that was supposed to be an entire franchise. Uh, and I mean, in the potentials for that, for the potential, the franchise potential for league of extraordinary gentlemen would have been through the roof, you know, because I mean, you had all these separate characters and, you know, and at the time, uh, you know, fairly well-known or up and coming actors involved might've killed some of their careers after the fact, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but he said that, you know, even though he didn't understand league of extraordinary gentlemen, he didn't want to turn down, you know, the chance to be a part of, a, of, you know, another major franchise similar to say matrix or, um, you know, or Lord of the Rings. So, you know, he did turn some roles down and it seemed to be on his part. I mean, I think he probably felt that he probably thought back to his days with time bandits and Zardoz and, you know, some of these movies that just didn't land. And he probably said, or, you know, in Highlander, depending upon how you look at it, didn't land either, at least not in America and Europe fucking huge, you know, but in other parts of the world, maybe not so much, even though, well, we'll get into Highlander. Like I said, um, he probably felt that he's like, well, I, you know, I took all these roles for these movies I didn't get and they ended up bombing. So I'm going to trust my gut. If I don't understand what the story is about, I'm not going to go forward with it. And I kind of feel like that must, that must've been where Sean Connery's head was at with those, with those choices, because I mean, can, it's just hard to imagine why you wouldn't be a part of star Trek, the matrix or Lord of the rings. I mean, you just be a part of some of the biggest, uh, uh, uh fictional universes, you know, in history, but oh, well, uh, especially when you consider that, I mean, and, and before we get into the top eight, I suppose I should say this, um, he is, he also had, while he's, you know, one of my favorite actors of all time, as well as again, being the actor. In fact, he probably bests Harrison Ford as well as being the actor where I've watched the most films by them and rewatched the most films by them, by any other singular actor. He, and this is different from Harrison Ford because, uh, I mean, not every Harrison Ford movie is great, but there's none that I would consider the worst of all time. Sean Connery was in a film 
that I consider to be, in fact, it's in the top, it's in my top three of top three worst movies in history. He was in one of those. <laughs> and that's, that's no small distinction. And look, that's not to say, I mean, Hey, the worst movie ever made any given Sunday had Al Pacino in it. And we know how great an actor Al Pacino is. So, you know, these guys every once in a while will make duds. Um, but the Avengers horrible, uh, no, not, not, not Marvel's the Avengers, even though those are, are, you know, flying turds as well. Um, but the Avengers from 1998, which was a, you know, reimagining remake of the classic Patrick McNee, uh, you know, series, uh, spy series. And he played a villain in it, which I was actually really excited. I remember cause I went to theaters in 1998 to go see the Avengers. Sean Connery was the one that sold it for me. Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, Ralph Fiennes or Ray Fiennes. And uh, isn't that weird? Like his name's Ralph, but it, it's always pronounced Rafe, right? Anyway, whatever. And Uma Thurman, they weren't selling that movie to me. The idea that Sean Connery was a villain. Oh, I'm there. I'm on it. And uh, that movie was horrible. <laughs> I mean, just, just horrible. Uh, infinitely bad. So if you're wondering what my top three worst movies are, um, I guess I'll put it. So number one is definitely any given Sunday because it's the only movie where I really, really wanted to walk out of the theater. Uh, and I mean, that's saying something. Number two would probably be the Avengers, the 98 uh, Avengers. It was just, it was a total stinker. Um, number three would be about 80% of Tim Burton's catalog. <laughs> Either that or McHale's Navy. <laughs> so <laughs> the movie, the movie. TV show is a classic, uh, but the, the movie, huh. there you go. How about that? You got a little extra list on this one. Um, so yeah, it's not like everything that Sean Connery touched was gold. Uh, even stuff that, you know, where, where I don't think critics or people really understood the film. Um, no, some things were just flat out bad. You know, uh, I mean, movies that critics don't necessarily like, like say Zardoz or time bandits. I have differing opinions on, uh, Zardoz, I actually used to be, well, let's save it. Let's get into the top eight. All right, let's do it. Um, now the, actually the, the reputation that I had mentioned that it seems like Sean Connery somehow earned and would actually be a major part of SNL skits, uh, around jeopardy. Uh, and I'm not going to reenact those here. <laughs> you can, you can go find them and, and have a good laugh. Is that somehow Sean Connery was an idiot? That that's like a, a thing that people think. I don't know. Uh, I mean, with the statement that he made about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and where he said that, well, I didn't understand Lord of the Rings. I don't know how you don't understand Lord of the Rings, but that he didn't understand Lord of the Rings, that he didn't understand um, the Matrix. I mean, I don't think anybody could really understand the Matrix until after the Matrix dropped. That's another conversation I've had many times around the Matrix that like that is a that was a, a cultural quantum leap that occurred. Uh, there's a lot of things people didn't understand until they saw the matrix. It's not something that you could actually understand, I think beforehand. So I don't blame him there, but he does, he does have that reputation. Of course, he was originally like a truck driver, right? And also there is the, the, the stigma, uh, completely untrue. There is the stigma in, and believe me, I I've seen it. I've been to Britain a few times 
And even today you, there's this, just this attitude. It's similar, I think to kind of like, it, it's just like this cultural background concept. Like in America, where you think that people that have a Southern accent are somehow less intelligent, of course, not true. Uh, but in the UK, it's, you know, Brit, a lot of British folks seem to have this inclination that, you know, Scottish people are somehow less intelligent. Um, I'm not saying all Brits are that way by no means. Um, but I've seen, but I, I can say personally, I've talked to some of the most brilliant people I know who happen to be British. Uh, and, and they seem to have that attitude, like, and, and they don't mind like saying it, 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 it's, it's interesting. So whatever, uh, of course, you know, we could get into the idea that there's some kind of uh, lingual association, uh, between or philological association between, you know, uh, American Southern accent and Scottish, but that's not a conversation for here. And I don't want to even get into those realms with any of this kinds of stuff. We're here to talk about movies and have a good time. Movies starring the legend, Sean Connery. So yeah, I don't know where that idiot thing came from. Um, I don't know that that's true. I, I, have, I have no fucking idea. Okay. Uh, whatever he was in real life, he certainly has done some dumb things. I'll say that and said some dumb things. I'm not going to deny that, but whatever he was in real life on the screen, he was magic. And so let's get into, uh, our, our top eight here. Um, no, uh, <laughs> as great as Robin and Marion was with Audrey Hepburn, uh, in back in 76, that's not on our list. <laughs> but, and obviously the Avengers isn't. Um, but we got to, I want to say it's a little bit of a different list. Uh, you know, a lot of people were putting out like their favorite, you know, upon his passing, they were putting out uh, a lot of their favorite films um, by Sean Connery. Uh, my list does cover a pretty broad swath of time. Again, there are no James Bond films on this list. That could be a wholly separate episode where I could talk about James Bond because I am a huge fan of spy fi of, you know, uh, spy fiction. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, I mean, I've centered sovereign tech in many ways and certainly it's fictional aspects as much around science fiction as I have spy fiction. So, you know, it's something that I, uh, you know, that I, I really, I'm really into. Uh, so let's start it off now. Of course, like most sovereign top eights, there is not, uh, like a necessary order. Okay. Um, you know, number one, I mean, if you're in the top eight, you're great. So it doesn't really matter what order they're in because they're already, you know, just some of the greatest films ever made. And I would argue that all of the, each one of these films that I mentioned, I put very high marks and probably all sit again in my top 100 films. when you consider how many movies have ever been out or have ever been made, uh, that's a, you know, a top 100 is a very short list. And all of these would sit there. Um, so, you know, keep, keep that in mind when we go down this list that each one, it's not like, well, this is just a great Sean Connery film, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that good. No, these are all genuinely, uh, for me, great films for varying reasons. And I'll explain some of them briefly, uh, as we go down the list. So to start it off, I mentioned it so many times already. We should talk about it. Let's talk about Highlander. Originally came out in 1986, of course, directed by Russell Mulcahy, who at the time was uh, a mainstay on MTV, not as a performer, but as a director of music videos. 
this would be, I, as far as I recall, like his first real foray um, into, you know, into big time Hollywood directing uh, Highlander. Of course, the movie would be heavily edited for American audiences, which is maybe why it didn't connect with them as much. Uh, but in Europe, it was, I mean, just a massive, massive film, very similar in reception in, in reception style as say, you know, Flash Gordon for, you know, from 1980, uh, where in America, not the biggest hit. There are the few people who are super passionate about it like myself, but in Europe, massive, massive fucking film, right? That seems to happen a lot. Uh, and also seems to happen a lot with Sean Connery films, but regardless, uh, Highlander over time, much like Sean Connery would age very well, uh, to where now it's pretty much, uni- I mean, you could call it a cult classic. It'll get a term like that, but now it's universally accepted as a very good film and very interesting. And it was a movie that I feel because you had a new director in, you had a, at least in America and other parts of the world, a somewhat unknown quantity with, uh, Christopher Lambert, who is amazing, but you know, there was somewhat of an unknown quantity, uh, you Clancy Brown. I mean, you, you had good people involved with the film. You had the queen soundtrack, just like flash Gordon, actually. Uh, so, you know, queen, isn't going to put a film over entirely, at least not with Americans, unfortunately today it would, but you know, back then for whatever reason, it didn't, um, you had, I mean, you had Michael Kamen doing the score. Uh, you had everything you needed. And I mean, not a great budget, but not a bad budget either. It still needed somebody to ground it and to make this wild story, which is basically about vampires that don't drink blood. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's much of what it comes down to, uh, to, to, to get audiences to really buy it and, and to take it seriously and, and to get invested quickly. And I'll tell you, you know, again, you just, you put Sean Connery in front of the camera and you're, you're transfixed whether what you're looking at is nonsense or not. And some of Highlander for, especially at the time for a lot of people probably came off as nonsense, but you had Sean Connery there and well, fuck, he believes it. He's selling it to me with this, this crazy story. I mean, it was brilliant of them to have him do the opening narration and then go right into the queen music. Because as soon as you hear Sean Connery's voice, I mean, you're just, you're listening and you're paying attention. And that's key when you're doing something so wild as Highlander was. Um, Highlander, you know, the, I mean, of course would go on to you. You'd end up with Highlander two. We should talk about that for a minute and you'd get the movie Highlander three. And then you would end up with Highlander, the series. It's unfortunate that while Christopher Lambert, of course, would reprise his role as Connor McCloud a couple of times, uh, be it in, uh, the first episode of the Highlander, the series, uh, which of course starred Adrian Paul. And of course in Highlander Endgame in that movie, he would reprise his role there. Um, it's unfortunate that really Sean Connery never got to come back to the role and maybe he was just fed up with what happened with Highlander too, but, and I wouldn't blame him at the time, but it is a pity. I would have loved to have seen in, you know, somehow have, Ramirez, which of course that's Sean Connery's character, Juan Villalobos Ramirez, at your service, right? You know, that, that whole thing. Have him play off of, uh, Adrian, you know, have Sean Connery and Adrian Paul play off of each other. I think that would have been incredible. Uh, so missed opportunity, but whatever. Uh, I mean, Highlander would go on again. People don't understand this. 
they do and Americans especially because they are you know I don't know if Sean Connery's stupid but well anyway <laughs> but Americans uh, <laughs> they don't know a good thing when they see it we'll just put it that way um you don't understand that in the 90s the two biggest shows in the world were Baywatch and Highlander, the series, the two biggest shows in the world. I mean, that everybody on the fucking planet was talking about, except for in America, for whatever reason, though, maybe you were talking about Pamela Anderson's tits or something, I guess. I'd rather be talking about David Hasselhoff, but whatever. Okay. It was, I mean, Highlander, the series was just, it was massive. You couldn't stop it. So anyway, it's a shame that Sean Connery never got to reprise that role and maybe, you know, soften some of the damage that was done with Highlander 2. Now, he would end up doing Highlander 2. And it's interesting to bring this up because so the original Highlander came out in 86. This is during one of what I would consider one of uh, one of Sean Connery's slumps um, where he's not, you know, where everything he makes isn't gold. Right. Like I said, he kind of had three acts. Uh, this is. <laughs> This is him on his, his, uh, after his first act, you know, trying to find his way after playing James Bond. And again, I think Highlander is a great movie. It totally belongs on this list, but for a lot of people, it's not seen as that. Um, now Highlander two, most people don't consider to be a good movie. Uh, Highlander two, the quickening, which came out in 91. I mean, this, this is what's weird with this is that in 91, you know, he had just come off of doing Indiana Jones. It's not like his, you know, acting prowess and that movie was massive. It's not like his acting prowess or anything that was like disrespectful or that, you know, he, he had to, I mean, you can't make an Indiana Jones movie. That's a massive hit. And then somehow you have to go around Hollywood saying, Oh, you know, please, sir. Can I have some more? Like, I, you know, I need to eat or something like that. I, I it's just, I don't believe, I don't know what, how he ended up doing that movie, but regardless, uh, Highlander two, the quickening that version, because then there's also Highlander two, the renegade version, which ended up getting like re-edited and recut a little CGI in here and there and put out on DVD. Uh, that's not a horrible film. It's still not a good or a really great film by any means. Um, but it's certainly better and fits in with the Highlander mythos far better than, uh, that was a pun by the way. But, but it fits it better, uh, than, than Highlander to the quickening, which suddenly put the immortals. They were actually all from the planet Zeist and it, it, very strange story, obviously has nothing to do with the original Highlander movie. Granted the original way that you watch the Highlander movie, um, Connor McLeod, Christopher Lambert's character wins the prize. So technically after Highlander, the original version of Highlander, or at least the uh, international version of Highlander or the director's cut, depending upon which way you're, you're catching it, there shouldn't be a Highlander, the series like that should have never happened. Just like there shouldn't have necessarily been a Highlander too, but well, actually they make sense of <sighs> it's a mess. Highlander is a very, very beautiful, beautiful, well done, but large mess as far as like any kind of continuity, but I digress. Uh, Sean Connery as Ramirez, uh, is fantastic. Of course, the character of Ramirez would even come back in the, uh, in the cartoon series for Highlander. Yep. There's one of those, but Sean Connery, of course, wasn't doing the, the voice acting for that. Um, but he come again, he completely grounded this wild idea 
uh, that the Highlander uh, universe would become. Um, and I still think he's really the grounding force for it because Christopher Lambert comes off kind of odd. Adrian Paul is, you know, sexy as fuck. And so, you know, he looks like he came right off the cover of a romance novel, like Michael Hearn or something. And just amazing. Right. And, but, <laughs> and so that, that, that makes the series what it is, but, or part of what, you know, got people to sit down, I suppose. Um, but Highlander needed Sean Connery. And that's, that's his power, you know, that he has is that he, he can really, really make something legit. At least certainly at that time, um, when we get to Sean Connery's third act, you know, in Hollywood or coming off of his third act, it seems like he kind of became a cultural joke because even he couldn't really like, he couldn't pull that. He didn't have that power anymore where he could make something totally engaging when you watched it. For example, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or at least that's the way I, and I, I'm speaking conventionally and you'll see what I mean later when we, as we go along on this list. So let, let, let's move on from that. Uh, the next one is a movie that now for a lot of people, they feel like this was the start of Sean Connery's second act. I would disagree. Um, his second act, you know, if you don't count Indiana Jones, his second act, I think really started with Hunt for Red October. And we'll get to that. <laughs> but, the, but in 1996, he ended up making The Rock. Uh, and this is where, you know, a movie that would also end up, you know, putting Nicolas Cage, uh, you know, into superstardom. I think it was, it was very key uh, for him to do that. It's kind of funny to imagine, or it's not funny, haha, but it, it's interesting to not, not imagine, but realize that Nicolas Cage used to be like a serious actor. You know, he wasn't a running meme or joke. Uh, and I miss that Nicolas Cage because he was actually pretty good. Like you watch, you know, Con Air and some, but whatever. I mean, I'm glad we ended up with Drive Angry. That's an amazing film, but we're not talking about Nicolas Cage. We're talking about Sean Connery. So of course in The Rock, uh, he ends up playing the character of Captain John Patrick Mason, who is a guy that gets locked up um, in, or at one point was locked up in Alcatraz, which that's what The Rock is. It's Alcatraz. Um, and, but he's been, you know, in maximum security and basically he doesn't exist according to the U S government. You know, they, they locked him away and threw away the key because somehow he got his hands on. And this is something that people forget. Okay. First off, I mean, Connery's amazing and you, you totally believe what he, everything that he's doing, even though he's an older guy and he's been in prison for how long. And so, you know, really like, wouldn't you think he'd be a little rusty? No, it's Sean Connery. He's getting into it. Um, there are two things with this film that are interesting. One is that this could very easily be seen and played up as a James Bond sequel. Meaning that he's basically playing James Bond in this ultimately. Uh, even though he's, you know, captain John Patrick Mason and his histories with the SAS, you know, with Britain, um, there's even, there's constant jokes to, uh, like, I think Ed Harris's character says, you know, what, like what boat did you serve on? Basically insinuating that he was in the Navy. Of course, then he corrects him and says, no, I was in the SAS. But I think they kept doing that to basically hint, you know, the, 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 the movie makers, whoever Bruckheimer and everybody were basically hinting to you. Yeah, this is a James Bond sequel. <laughs> and, and it, and it's a great one. Uh, it plays up very nicely like that. Uh, it's a fantastic film where you almost root for the villain and you basically have three or four different teams to root for. Uh, this is a genius action film. 
uh, and holds up very well today. You know, even though you could argue the world's somewhat different with, you know, now that we have smartphones and all these other things, uh, I think it's still very intense. One of the best scores in history. Hans Zimmer was, uh, this is not when his career started, but it's the earlier part of his career. Like he, when he had done Crimson Tide and so on. Uh, I mean, he just knocked it out of the park. This is such an exciting film. It really is. I mean, and you have other great actors, Michael Bean. And then, I mean, he's Sean Connery is playing against some of Hollywood's best in this film. And he still steals the show and gets, uh, you know, basically gets to be the, the first face on the poster. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I love it for that. But, you know, here's the funny thing that I, I don't think a lot of people realize in this film. There's a point where like the, one of the antagonists who's actually on the government, in the government, in the U S government, one of the antagonists, when he's explaining why Sean Connery's character has been locked away for so long, it's like, well, he knows about the aliens at Roswell. He knows, like, he starts listing off all these different things. And it's like, wait, wait, this movie's admitting that there are aliens at Roswell. And like, he just mentioned, mentions all these weird conspiracy theories that apparently Sean Connery has all the answers to. Uh, it's just an oddity and it comes out of nowhere. And it's like, wait, can we get a little bit more of that? But anyway, uh, great action flick. Really, really solid. Everybody's on their A game with this one. Production team, the actors, and of course, Sean Connery himself. Uh, but let's move on to, let's go back to 1990. And this is, see, this is where Highlander 2 comes off as kind of weird. Because in 1990, Sean Connery made The Hunt for Red October, of course, based off of the classic Tom Clancy book in the Jack Ryan universe. Amazing film. Uh, I love this movie. So we, we've got Highlander number one, The Rock number two. Again, these aren't in any real order. Uh, number three, we're going with The Hunt for Red October. I was tempted to put in 92's Medicine Man, but people get kind of antsy about that film. So uh, that there's also a pun there too. But <laughs> but, but The Hunt for Red October, uh, playing, of course, Captain Marco Ramius uh, of the Russian uh, submarine, The Red October. This is another, well, not, not scored by, uh, by Hans Zimmer, but by Basil Poldery and, or Basil Poldoris. Actually, I, I think I saw a recent angry video game nerd video where he didn't know how to pronounce Basil's name either. And I, I don't, it might even be Basil. Who knows? I, I, I don't, I actually have not like ever met him, nor have I ever really heard anybody like say his name, even though he should be talked about because his scores are some of the best ever made Robocop, Starship Troopers, Conan, the Barbarian. Uh, and Conan, the destroyer had a great score too. go down the list. Basil's just top notch, uh, and delivered with hunt for red October. It, I mean, Sean Connery's playing Sean Connery as he seems to do in many roles, but it's okay. And it's fine that he has kind of a Scottish accent, but he's playing a Russian submarine captain. Uh, again, his presence alone, you just buy it. Uh, the intrigue of this film, the, the intensity you know, it's, it's a movie you'd think that you wouldn't want to watch over and over again, but there's just something about all of it. That's just so perfect, uh, that you can't help but watch it over and over again. I don't, every time I watch it, I just, I think it's so engaging and so exciting. Everything hooks you that's happening on the screen. Uh, and it is not the first really, you could argue that Indiana Jones and the last crusade is the first film to really do this, or even Highlander really would have done it before. But Sean Connery seems to have a very common role of being either, you know, kind of the mentor to the younger man, because of course he's the mentor to some degree to, or he's always playing off of a really young guy, which helps sell 
the, you know, kind of the, the wise presence of Sean Connery. Right. And he did a great job with Alec Baldwin in this. Uh, they played off of each other very well, but just it's, it's a perfect film. I mean, that that's the only way I can really describe it. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of Tom Clancy films or Tom Clancy based material, I guess I should say, because I did, you know, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. I enjoy those as well. In fact, it's kind of funny, right, that I said the you know, two actors that I've probably rewatched their films the most were Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. It's interesting that they both, you know, played in the uh, Jack Ryan universe as well. Uh, anyway, so Hunt for Red October, just Perfection, very exciting stuff. Uh, and partly be, and a lot of that probably comes down to actually Tom Clancy's overall storytelling because, you know, Tom Clancy is just so believable. Like his writing is so believable. I'm not a huge Tom Clancy fan, but I get it. I understand. Um, and as someone that's been on a submarine myself, I mean, certainly it does give me the, uh, <laughs> I say sarcastically the warm fuzzies of that experience, uh, every time that I watch the film. So, Anyway, uh, yeah, just a, just a tremendous, uh, uh, movie and it, it, boy, it makes you have wanted, I mean, yeah, we could get into like outland and some others, but you really wanted, I would have loved to have seen Sean Connery as some kind of starship captain or some kind of spaceship captain of some kind hunt for red October is as close as we get. Anyway, moving on, uh, let's go to number four. Um, this is another movie where and this is from 1999. So we're going a few years down the line. Again, this is all really a part of, uh, I would, I would argue is really his, his second act. Um, and that would be from 1999, that being entrapment. Now in this, he's playing like a international super thief, you know, an art thief or whatever. And he's playing against Catherine Zeta Jones, who had just come off of, doing the tremendous and also one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, Antonio Banderas led mask of Zorro. Uh, she was just coming off of that. She was, you know, certainly a hot property at the time. Um, and he gets to really, you know, because I feel like in the rock as great a quotes as there are in that and hunt for red October, of course, very commanding in that he, he gets to be a ladies man again in entrapment and it's a very seductive film. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's basically a spy thriller, even though it's about thieves, you know, it's ultimately a spy thriller and it, it just, it works very well. Very, very sexy movie, I think. Um, and again, you know, picture. So he was born in 1930 that came out in 1999. So what, he was almost 70 years old and he, I mean, just shy of 70 and he's being, you know, Sexy as hell. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, just, just the, the presence of this guy. So we'll put that in number four. Number five is a movie that probably up until about a year ago would not have been on this list because I didn't get this movie. I did not understand this movie. Then one day I said to Ellen, love, would you like to watch this weird ass movie called Zardoz? I don't get it we should watch it because it's just wacky. And so Ellen and I spent a Saturday night and, uh, and we watched the film might've had some pizza. I don't know. Uh, I don't think there was anything in the pizza that could have caused us to hallucinate and imagine that this is somehow a good film, but 
it being like the third or fourth time that I had watched this movie, I finally understood the film. And again, the whole thing is basically, it's a Nietzschean play. It's all about the work and the philosophy, really, of, of Friedrich Nietzsche. And once I saw that, I got it. And I think the movie is shy of brilliant. Uh, of course, made by John Borman, who would make other great films. And I mean that. Uh, I think Excalibur is an awesome movie. Uh, there's even a novelization that John Borman did for Zardoz, probably so he could, you know, explain more of what the fuck he was putting on the screen. Uh, this is during a, what I think some would consider to be a dark time for, you know, between his first and second acts, uh, a dark time for Sean Connery and nobody will forget him wearing that little outfit from, you know, playing Zed in this movie. But once you get what this movie is, it works. And Sean Connery, you know, his delivery on everything, once you understand the film, you don't want anyone else playing Zed. As ridiculous as he looks, you don't want anyone else playing Zed. It just seems to, I don't know, it just makes sense. Again, it's more of that screen presence of his that just makes it work. Um, there's a recent Sovereign Tech, fairly recent in the past year, where I did a full review. I think Ellen was on the episode as well. We did a breakdown of Zardoz and we talked about it and reviewed it. Uh, go back to that. I'm not going to rehash all of that here because, again, that was a major conversation on its own. That would be its own special, frankly, to cover everything within Zardoz. Uh, but I actually think now, and of course, that's from 1974, so it's science fiction pre-Star Wars when it wasn't taken as seriously. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think now I, th I think it's a brilliant film or just shy of brilliant. I mean, it, it doesn't exactly stick the landing. There are problems because I shouldn't have had to seen the film for nobody's going to watch a movie four times, you know, especially when everybody seems to universally make fun of a movie. But once you get it, then it, oh, it's fucking great. But you got to watch it that many times, I think, to really under, or, you know, understand you, you, you've got the secret that nobody else seems to really, and because I've read like analyses of the movie and nobody seemed to, or Nietzsche was like an afterthought instead of being the central understanding, you know, central theme of that film. Uh, so yeah, again, weird film. I'm sure Sean Connery probably wished he never made it, but I'm glad that he did. Uh, and, and it's just, I mean, it's not, it's not the first movie I'm ever going to pop in, but I love it now. Cause I, cause again, I understand it. So moving on, um, that's so what do we got? Let's see. Highlander number one, the rock number two, hunt for red October number three, entrapment number four, Zardoz number five. Let's go to uh, number six and number six. Admittedly, if there was a number one on this list, this one would even top out Highlander. Uh, this would be my number one Sean Connery film. This is a movie that I have watched way too much <laughs> and still watch way too much. Um, it, it's a, it's a feel good movie for me. Uh, I don't think that it's a simple film. You know, I mean, you could say like movies like last starfighter or some other, you know, those are like simple feel good films. No, this is not a simple film. Uh, but it is absolutely one of my feel good movies, you know, where I pop it in and you just, you know, it's comfort food. First night from 1995, uh, playing off of speaking of, you know, sexiest men alive, someone who was regularly voted as sexiest man alive in that era, uh, that being Richard Gere playing opposite. Also, uh, Julia Ormond, who was a big deal at that point. Uh, someone who also played off of, 
uh, actually of Harrison Ford of all ironies. Got some, uh, you know, not, not six degrees of Kevin Bacon here or whatever, however many degrees there are, but there's some connective tissue going on here. Um, this is a King Arthur film and he is playing King Arthur. And I cannot, as someone who is actually a dilettante in Arthurian scholarship, which I am, I take it very seriously. You know, it's one of my, one of my little passions. Uh, I cannot imagine as much as I enjoy Excalibur and plenty of other representations from Camelot 3000 to, you know, we, we, we can think of a few. Um, I always see King Arthur as Sean Connery now in my head. Like it's just always there. And I'm always hearing his voice whenever I'm thinking of King Arthur, like say saying something, you know, I mean, like it is spoiled anything that I read, you know, from, uh, from Marion Zimmer Bradley or, you know, once a future King or whatever. Uh, I just instantly always hear Sean Connery now, whenever I think of King Arthur and that's saying something. This movie, I, I don't know why it wasn't a big deal. It's a romance, romantic action adventure. Uh, I think it works. Everybody's bringing their a game. Uh, the style that it brings to the Arthurian legend is second to none. I mean, not, not to say that it's all practical, but it really, really works. Is it, does it stick with the Arthurian legend? You know, or like a lot of Arthurian scholarship? No, not very well. And Excalibur is not necessarily a big deal uh, in it. Um, but then, you know, when you actually study, uh, you know, Arthurian legends or the Arthurian stories, you know, just how, <laughs> how confusing that is. Like there isn't just one Arthurian legend, right? So Regardless, I love this movie. Uh, I think it's it's probably if they're you know if you're ranking King Arthur films, I'd put it at my top. Um, it does sit at my top of Sean Connery films. Uh, he is, I mean, and just like the things he says, the quotes, you know, you can't. I mean, simple stuff even like you can't love people in slices. Uh, you know, a man who fears nothing loves nothing. I mean, you can just keep rattling out the wisdom that he just drops in this film. Uh, and and you know when Sean Connery says that, it, it's just amazing. Uh, very and. Again, very cool film. Like I, and I do, I think it's cool. Like I think the, the way that they show up, you know, that they display Camelot and everything all about it. There's just tremendous grandeur. Uh, love this movie. So, and, and once again, you know, as good as Richard Gere and Julie Armand are, and they are, Sean Connery just makes it instantly believable. And you instantly see him in that role as King Arthur. So, and, and you know, I mean, consider this and, and cause I really, I do, I hate it. There have been King Arthur films where they'll just put some young idiot, you know, in the, in the role. And it's like, we're talking about one of the most important archetypes, fiction or nonfiction, depending upon how you want to look at it in human storytelling, in history. And you're going to put anybody less than the best in that role. It's an insult. It's an insult to humanity, quite frankly, when you put, you know, some schlub in the role of King Arthur. Uh, in fact, I'm not even like the biggest fan of the actor that ended up doing it at Excalibur. But Sean Connery, you know, vindicated Hollywood in a very real way with their depiction of King Arthur. So and always memorable with that. Um, but let's move on uh, to the next film. And it's actually his last. And that is. Uh, even though he would do some voiceover work for like the from Russia with love game uh, video game at the time in, in 05. Um, 
but the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, from 2003, based off of Alan Moore's fantastic comic book series, this one, you know, it just clicked. I just remembered now. It wasn't, he wasn't, Sean Connery wasn't going to get asked to play Morpheus. He was going to play the architect, I think, in, and he went to go do this, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'll leave that in. Uh, yeah, that, that, okay, he was going to do the architect. Boy, that would have been fantastic. Anyway, regardless. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, I know that Sean Connery was actually very much involved with, like, the editing process of this, amazingly. Like, he was really trying to save this film. Uh, he felt somewhere with mid-production that, that there were problems. I don't know. I mean, when this movie came out, I was 22. I thought the movie was great. Like, I really, really liked it. I loved having all of these, you know, great literary characters, uh, many of which that I had grown up with. Uh, I thought that it all worked. I mean, having, uh, you know, Dorian Gray in it was was really great because I was always such an and still am such an Oscar Wilde fan. Uh, you know, having Captain Nemo in it and I fuck. I mean, the Nautilus was gorgeous in this film. Fucking gorgeous. I don't get, there's a lot in this movie that I think just works and is just, is really, really cool. Uh, I don't understand the hatred for this film. You know, I can watch it today and I, and I totally get it. And, and I'm following along and it's no problem. And Sean Connery is Alan Quartermain, the immortal Alan Quartermain. Of course, he plays another immortal, <laughs> much like he did in Highlander. Uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, and again, makes all of this instantly believable, you know, when he's, when he's on the screen, I guess for most audience goers, they don't feel that way. I don't know. You know, maybe what I need to do is, is scour the, the, the internet a little bit, not for any sign of intelligent life. I won't find that, but scour the internet a little bit. Maybe there are people who feel like me that actually have a much kinder review of this film. Cause I, I think it's a fantastic movie. Very exciting. Lots of cool shit in it. Uh, I mean, it's almost, it's about the best steampunk movie, frankly, we've ever gotten, in my opinion. I mean, as far as live action, um, I'm sure someone's going to think of something else, but really, I, I think this one, this one takes the cake and it, and it technically it's what it is. It's a steampunk movie. And we know how rare our content is for that outside of say anime. So yeah, I dig it. I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, I mean, I guess he was disappointed with it too, but again, you know, he doesn't always under seem to understand these things. And so whatever was happening there, I don't know. Uh, but I, I really, really, really like that flick. Um, but we'll move on from that. And we, you know, we don't have to get into, I mean, you, you know, leave extraordinary gentlemen. I'm sure they're going to end up remaking it at some time, partly because, or at some point, partly because a lot of the characters are under creative commons and it doesn't cost Hollywood anything to, or not creative commons, but public domain. And it doesn't cost, you know, Hollywood anything to, to, to make movies around those characters, but let's move on to, let's see. So we got number one Highlander, number two, the rock, number three, hunt for red October, number four, entrapment, number five, Zardoz, number six, first night, number seven, league of extraordinary gentlemen. Let's go to our last one. Number eight, Indiana Jones and the last crusade. I've got to put this in here. Have to, you know, I, I mean, I, I was tempted to put in the man who would be King. Because, I mean, him and Michael Caine in 1975 in their prime, that, that movie's a fucking masterpiece. Uh, 
I was tempted to put that in, but you just, you can't, you can't talk about Sean Connery and his filmography without talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Steven Spielberg said it first and said it best. Who do you get to play the father of Indiana Jones? A character that was originally supposed to be like a James Bond, you know, came out of uh, Spielberg's desire to do a James Bond film. And then George Lucas says, oh, no, no, Steve, I got a, I got a better character for you. His name is Indiana Jones. You're going to want to do this. You know, and, and of course, Indiana Jones, I would argue, does have perhaps larger cultural cachet than, than even James Bond in many ways. Um, or at least they're at parody. So who do you get to match, you know, Indiana Jones? Who do you get to, who gets to act, who gets to be the dad to Harrison Ford, who at the time was white hot? Well, you get James Bond. (laughs) You get Sean Connery. And uh, of course, Steven Spielberg said that like that, that was almost his first choice. He's like, well, why don't we just get James Bond in here? It's supposed to be a Bond film anyway. And he Sean Connery, I mean, yes, he's about the only person that you could picture someone with the near equal presence that Harrison Ford has for Harrison Ford to say, dad, dad, you know, to, to, to talk that way to somebody. I mean, the only person you could picture or one of the few people you could picture Harrison Ford looking up to would be Sean Connery and it's magic on the screen. You know, I mean, the movie didn't even have to be good. You just, you, you had Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. And so it was just, there's no way it wasn't going to be good, you know, regardless of whatever the script has, of course, it ends up being a fantastic film all the way around. Um, I mean, I would argue that I feel like the movie Indiana Jones, as far as within the Indiana Jones universe, uh, it kind of changes the tone from, uh, Raiders and from uh, temple of doom. It makes it a lot more comedic and like the character of Marcus it becomes a joke when he originally wasn't. And so you could kind of get annoyed at that, but again, I mean, just Connery and, and Ford playing off of each other is just as good as it gets. Uh, very quotable film, and a, and yeah, it turned into a comedy. But guess what? It's fucking funny. Sean Connery is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, even when he's meant to be serious, like when he slaps when he slaps uh, Indiana Jones, you know, he's like, "That's for blasphemy." <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, there's just tons tons of great lines uh, from the movie, and I mean, if anyone ever wants to say that that's like that that was Sean Connery's greatest role next to James Bond um, or even better. I'm not going to argue against it. You know, it was just, it was that good of a film. Um, Now I'm going to give you a couple bonus films. Um, One it's, it's just a, a, an incredible surprise when you get it. And you know, if he had a bigger part, it would have been on this list, but when you, when he shows up as Richard, the Lionheart in, you know, in Robin hood, Prince of thieves. That's awesome, man. (laughs) That was just, that was awesome. That was so, so cool. Uh, in 91 and you know, he, he was, I mean, regardless of what stage Sean Connery's acting career was at that point, it was Sean Connery, you know, just showing up out of nowhere. This is a guy that does not do cameos, goddammit. And, you know, he just he just took it. 
And also to, you know, play off of, again, you know, the young man, uh, to play off of Kevin Costner, who also was white hot at the time. Uh, you've got to, I mean, that's, that's it. Just, you bring in Sean Connery. Doesn't matter how big the other actor is. You bring in Sean Connery and he's going to go toe to toe with whoever, you know, your, your leading, uh, your leading guy or gal is. So I love that, that that's a, that's a worthy watch just to get that awesome surprise at the end. I mean, it just, it works so well. Uh, the other one I, I want to mention is kind of a, I feel like it's a movie that's really been forgotten, sort of like how the 79 Dracula seems to have long been forgotten when that's an amazing, if not the best uh, Dracula movie ever made. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to stand too strong on that, or I'm not going to, not going to argue that one too hard. I'm, I'm just saying that if you felt that way, I would not argue with you. Um, but the Russia house from 1990, awesome soundtrack. Was that a Jerry Goldsmith score? Uh, I mean, playing against Michelle Pfeiffer in it and I mean, a slow film, kind of a plotting film, but I love it. That that's, that's some, that's some old fashioned spy fi right there. Old fashioned spy fi you know, pre James Bond kind of slow stuff. And I, I really, I, I got a special place in my heart for that film. Uh, so the Russia house from 1990, that that's one that I think a lot of people forget to talk about. And I mean, and, and that, I think that movie was fairly well received. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I dig that a lot. So anyway, there you go. You've got a couple bonus movies at the end, but you got your top eight for Sean Connery, uh, an absolute loss. Again, we haven't seen him act in, you know, 15 years. Um, so I, I don't think anybody really forgot him, but then also we haven't really, you know, had him in, in front of our, 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 our screens or, you know, on our screens on a very long time. Um, I really wish, I mean, there's plenty of roles I wish he could have taken up. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's, did he stop acting? And then, you know, things basically went downhill. I mean, you could argue he wasn't making the best choices as far as movies. Um, I don't know that I would argue that. I mean, Finding Forrester was a good movie as well in 2000. I think there were a lot of roles he could have taken on. There was a lot of, a lot of movies that he could have still made and owned, you know, hell he could have had a fourth act, but I guess he got out while he still had some degree of prestige and maybe, you know, that's just as well. Did he deserve the lifetime achievement award from the AFI? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the greatest actors of all time. Uh, even though ironically, in many ways, he really just kept playing himself, but he was so iconic as himself that, and he had such presence, you just, you wanted him there. Uh, but as much as he, and I know I've been saying this term a lot, uh, as much as he sold the young man that he would play against, I feel like, you know, the up and comers that he would play against in films also just added to his prestige, you know, because they would look up to him and it just, it just made him even more of a legend. And again, he's just one of those characters where, or one of those actors that's just amazing that he, he seemed to only get better as he got older. It's just one of the, you know, I mean, I, I know there are others in that vein, but I don't know other than maybe Clint Eastwood. I can't think of too many who pull it off just as well as Sean Connery did. Um, but an absolute loss in the world of cinema. That's really the, the statement to end this, uh, this little special on. So with that, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, of course, rest in peace, Sean Connery, and I'll see all of you woo, on the other side.